Once upon a time, in a land far away. I'm Katrina, and I'm Jeff, and welcome to the Fairy Tellers Podcast. Myth, legend, folklore, fable. We explore what they say about cultures then and now. Grab a hot cup of cocoa and a comfy seat while we retell you a thing. Welcome back to the podcast. We are on a roll now that we've come back from our hiatus, refreshed and ready for more episodes. Because as we've said many times before, we've got them scheduled until like mid-2023, at least. So we're going to keep them coming. Yeah. Not to mention people have continued to send in like questions and requests. And so... Yeah, we're we're good to go getting like right back into the swing of things. I in particular am super excited for this episode. I know we say we're excited for every episode and that is true. We wouldn't do an episode if we weren't excited about it. And then we like but... to explain how we're excited about it every single time and we say, I know we say this every episode, <laughs> but it's part of like the it's just a tradition yeah, of the podcast at this yeah, point. If good. we didn't do it, the people would miss it. They'd be writing angry emails. Yeah. We can't. I wouldn't want to. It's cool. It's part of our folk culture now. Yeah. But I'm super excited because I have like a interesting personal connection to the story of Tanabata, like the Tanabata festival from when I was living in Japan. And yeah, I mean, I don't want to get into it too much now, but I think it will be delightful because there's so many things that as a foreigner in Japan at the time, things just going over my head and misunderstandings and all sorts of fun stuff. Nice. And I'm excited to talk about this story because once again, we're talking about these celestial stories or what they're actually referred to as cultural astronomy stories. And this story, as Jeff alluded to, is connected to a holiday, the Tanabata Festival. I feel like we're hitting on a couple of our big themes or like interests yeah. in the sense like, okay, when I think of it, and maybe me personally, but I feel like there's like this hardcore subset of out there that are exactly like me in that their favorites are like geomythology stories, cultural astronomy stories, and holidays. Yeah. We just can't get enough of those things. So all, all together, this is making for a super exciting episode, in my opinion. Yes. In my opinion as well. And hopefully in your opinion. So Tanabata, or the Star Festival, is celebrated on the seventh day of the seventh lunar solar month, which on modern calendars is July 7th. So it's celebrated on July 7th. In some places in Japan, it's celebrated August 7th. That's following the older calendar that was based off of old Chinese calendars, uh, lunar solar calendars. So, yeah, in some places, August 7th, but most places in Japan celebrate it July 7th, which is why we thought now is a perfect time to put this episode out so that you can have this episode and listen to it before July 7th and impress all of your friends <laughs> by telling them about this story. I'm laughing because... I. I don't know. Maybe some of you will have friends that are very impressed. <laughs> and then our friends are mostly just annoyed and like, you know, we should talk about this on your podcast. Where I'm like, oh, today's July 7th. Fun fact. 
I absolutely am going to do that. <gasps> you know what? That's probably a very auspicious day. My cousin's getting married July 7th. <gasps> I should tell everybody at the oh, wedding. No, it is July 7th. You should. <laughs> that's, that is perfect because, I mean, like, 7-7, seven, seven, like, seven, three sevens is, like, a lucky number in our, like, Western culture. 7-7 seven, seven is the day of the Tanabata Matsuri. And it's also it's about lovers coming together, but then also being separated for like the whole year and only getting mm. to come together at one time. I, I anyway that wow spoiler not, alert. Yeah, sorry, <laughs> that part's not going in. No, but I like the, what you said about in the trash already. <laughs> I like what you said about it, like being like, oh, and it's a story about lovers. I'm like, oh, that's so perfect. So yeah, I'm definitely at my cousin's wedding. Going to be like. Fun fact, guys. Did you know that today in Japan, and everybody is going to be so entertained, they're going to be like, wow, that lady was enthralling. I'm so glad that she got assigned to sit at our table. <laughs> I can see it now. Anyone has any objections? Speak now or forever hold your peace. Not an objection, but I just wanted to say... <laughs> Something really interesting that this like aligns <laughs> perfectly with. <laughs> Let me tell you about two star-crossed lovers. Ooh. Ooh. So uh, the story that we are going to tell today, the story is called The Legend of Tanabata. I've also seen it called The Legend of the weaver and the herdsman and this story it seems originated from a chinese legend and might have been brought over to japan around the 8th century and people have loved it ever since so without further ado <laughs> we're gonna have jeffrey tell the tale all right the legend of tanabata I like the, uh, this isn't part of the story, but I like the introduction that this has in it where it's like, yeah. have you ever looked up at the night sky and seen the Milky Way? Which it's providing context that you're going to need yes. yeah. for the story. Um, it is the vast river of stars that spreads across the night sky. Sometimes on a clear summer night, you can see two special stars in the Milky Way. On one side of it, a bright blue star. Vega. And on the other side, a dim yellow star. These stars are called Orihime and Hikoboshi in Japanese, the Weaver Princess and the Cowherdsman. And this story is about them. So Orihime was a princess who lived in the heavens. And her job was to weave beautiful clothes for all the other people that lived up there in the sky, right? And she was super good at it because presumably when you live in the heavens, you've been alive for like thousands and thousands of years. You've had a lot of practice. Yeah. That's all just my assumptions, yeah. what I'm bringing to this story. It doesn't say any just, of that, except for that she did this and she was very talented at it. A beautiful, capable sky goddess. Yeah. And she also loved to do it. Like, it was her passion. It's not like, oh, man, I'm good at this thing that I hate. I mean, I, she probably is so good at it because she loves it. And so that's why she does it so much. And as she was weaving, which, again, I think it's interesting that there's a weaver, like textiles making their way back in, which if we're going to add a fourth thing, that's like a big get excited theme of our podcast. Textiles would be one of them, which sounds boring when I say it that way, but it's actually exciting. Yeah, textile anyway. magic. While she was weaving, Orihime always sang softly to herself, you know, kind of to pass the time. Meanwhile, Hikoboshi was a herdsman and he was responsible for herding, not responsible. 
he would herd his cows all over the heavens. So right to start, these are two like beings that are already living up in the sky. Yeah. And so he liked his animals and he would sing to them while he walked. Something that these lovers have in common, a common interest. <laughs> so one day while he was walking around, he was close enough to the area that Orihime was that he could hear her singing when he kind of stopped to take like a little break. And so he listened and he's like, oh my gosh, what is that beautiful song I hear? This song absolutely slaps, he said. <laughs> In old Japanese. <laughs> Literally translated, that's what it comes down to. Yeah. So he, the song was so beautiful that like, it just like lifted his mood. Like he's like, I feel so happy just hearing this song. And so he stood and he listened for a really, really long time. A little while later, a long while later, like came back to him and was like, oh yeah, um, I have work to do. <laughs> so he's like, oh man, looking around and he sees his cows have like just scattered off everywhere. He's like, oh man. So he has to round up all his cows and then he, you know, gathers them together and they start walking again. And as he's walking, you know, getting back in his usual mode from recovering all these cows from wandering around, he starts going back to his usual routine, which is he starts singing. And so just then, Orihime, who'd been weaving and singing, like she'd been weaving and singing for so long that she finished up the weaving that she had to do for the day. So she stopped. And when she stopped her loom and stopped singing, in the silence that was now there, she could hear Hikoboshi singing in the distance. So she got to listen to him and she's like, oh my gosh, what is this beautiful song that I'm hearing? It absolutely slaps. <laughs> And it's like lifting my spirits. It's making me super happy just to hear the song. So she sits and listens to the song for a while. So just as she's thinking this, Hikoboshi walks right into her kind of like line of sight and they see each other. So as soon as they saw each other, they both kind of realize at the same time, like this is the person that was singing that like beautiful song. And then as they gaze into each other's eyes at this realization at the same time, instantly they fell in love with one another. And so Orihime got up walked away from her loom. Hikoboshi walked away from his cows and they fell into each other's arms and they started singing a whole new song. Like a song that was way more beautiful than the songs that they were singing by themselves and this song was like about how much they absolutely loved each other. I can see the movie of this right now. Oh yeah. Amazing. Get like Lin-Manuel Miranda to write the, <laughs> the music, the songs for it and like their two themes coming together. It'll be amazing. Their songs so, will slap. <laughs> the hardest. So Orihime and Hikoboshi start walking all through the heavens together, singing their song. And they were so happy together that like that happiness was contagious. Like as they walked around, everyone who heard their song couldn't help but be happy. But there was a problem. Because Orihime stopped weaving, there were no more clothes that were being woven for all the people that were living in the sky. And the cows were just like starting to stray wherever they wanted without someone to guide them. So the God of the heavens called Orihime and Hikoboshi to him. And he's like, Hey, I get it. I see that you love each other. It's a great song. It's everyone thinks so. Like everybody says it absolutely slaps. <laughs> it just makes them so happy to hear it, but you are neglecting your work and like that can't continue. So sorry, but I forbid you to stay together any longer. It's like, you got to get back to work. And so he says, Orihime, you have to stay on the east bank of the Milky Way. And Hikoboshi, you have to stay on the west bank. And you do not cross the Milky Way. You stay on the opposite sides of the Milky Way from one another. And Orihime and Hikoboshi are like, well, we can't disobey the orders of the god of the heavens. Doesn't sound like a smart thing to do. 
So immediately, like hearing this, they're like, they don't want that to happen. So they like start begging, like, please let us stay there. We'll do our work. We promise we will do our work if you let us stay there. Please, 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 please. And the guy was like, okay, here's a compromise for you. If you promise to work hard and do your work year round, then once a year on the seventh day of the seventh month, you can come together on that day and be reunited. And we'll call it Tanabata. And so then Orihime and Hikoboshi were banished to the opposite sides of the Milky Way. Orihime sat at her loom on the East Bank, weaving and singing her original song. And then Hikoboshi was on the West Bank, herding his cows while gently singing his own cow herding song. (laughs) And so they both worked hard throughout the year, waiting for that magical moment, that one day per year that they could come back together. And finally, that day came, the seventh day of the seventh month. And Orihime and Hikoboshi were like, brimming with excitement so they run to the banks of the milky way and just then it starts to rain at first it was like kind of just a soft gentle rain but it got stronger and stronger and stronger until it became a raging storm and the milky way the waters of the milky way rose and rose and rose and they couldn't cross because the waters were so high and the storm kept going and going and going and they were like oh my gosh the one day of the year that we're allowed to be together, this storm is not going to stop before the day is over. Like this, our, We're not going to have our chance to see each other. We're going to have to wait another entire year before we can be together. And so they fell into like this deep, deep sadness. And it says that that sadness was so deep that just like how their song had made everyone happy when they were wandering around, like their sadness spread and like just everyone could feel it in all corners of the heavens. So when the God of the heavens realized what was happening, he's like, oh man, This is not good. This is not what I meant to happen. You know, I wanted them to have this moment. And so he thought about what he could do. And he called the king of the magpies to ask if they could make a bridge across the river for these lovers. And so suddenly king of the magpies, boom, gets, gets the job done. Thousands of magpies start flying to the banks of the Milky Way river. They lock their wings together and they make a bridge so that Orihime and Hikoboshi can come together. And they both like, Again, I'm seeing the movie version, like the magpies, the bridge is like coming from each side. And then like, as the bridge is forming, they see it. Again, this is not in the story that I'm reading. This is just my mental image. They see that these like, what's happening, like, oh, these magpies, they're going to come together in there. And so they start running and they're like running. They catch up to the magpie, like chain that's forming until like, boom, the magpies come together. And like, they're like a second behind and they slam together and start hugging and like some feathers like fly fly up up and are beautifully magical, like around them. I love that. But anyway, so they... They do start running on the bridge and they do come together and fall into each other's arms and they were reunited. They spent the whole day together, sang their song of love, filled the heavens with happiness and everyone who heard it was like, yes, we love this. It feels so great. So to this day in Japan, when the seventh day of the seventh month comes around, everyone in Japan hopes for clear skies because they want the lovers to be reunited and not have a recap of what happened this time if the skies are clear and they're able to come together their happiness will rain down from the heavens and make everyone in the heavens and everyone there on earth happy the end i love that story i love this story too this story is so different from the version of the story that i heard when i was in japan for like a couple reasons one reason is when i heard this story i'd been living in japan for like a few months and my Japanese was not very good. Let's just say that. And I had to have it like explained to me 
by someone whose English was not very good. So I'm sure there's like some mistranslation happening there. But also like the the beats of the story are very, very, very different, which I think is interesting. That is interesting. The version of the story that I had Jeffrey tell, it is actually in the All About Japan Story Songs, Crafts, and Games for Kids book that is put out by uh, Tuttle Publishing, which we've talked about Tuttle Publishing before. So this is a book that I've gotten to like read stories from around the world to my kids. And so I'm interested to hear like the version that you have encountered. Uh, also, just because I wonder, I've I found a version of this story that is Chinese. That's the the older mm-hmm. like Chinese version of the story. And so there's part of me that wonders like if stuff has kind of been edited or changed for children or if this is like the yeah. tale that most people in Japan are familiar with. And like I also would not even know if the version that I saw is so the version I saw it was really cool because I saw it at a planetarium. Like we went to a planetarium. Oh cool. We were just Trying to find something to do. Like, oh, there's a planetarium nearby. Let's go and see that because that will be cool. Even if we don't understand anything, we'll see some cool stuff. When we went there, it was like in the month of July or probably June. It was like the lead up to the Tanabata Festival. And I was living in Ichinomiya, Japan, which has a huge like Tanabata Matsuri, like a big festival for this holiday. And there's a few places around that do it, like that have big festivals. But this is one of the ones... I don't know if it's the biggest one, but like, at least in Ichinomiya, they're like, this is like a big deal. Like, you're so lucky that you get to be there here for this festival. Like, this is our thing. And the interesting thing about it that I learned, you know, more recently is one of the reasons why Ichinomiya does this holiday is because that city is known for like their textile manufacturing. Oh, that's so cool. So like, it's the, probably the like weaver, latching onto yeah. yeah. So that's kind of one of the things there. But uh, we went to Planetarium and it was like, instead of like shows about like, I don't know, Neptune or whatever it was going to be, it was these illustrations that someone had done telling the story of Tanabata, which was crazy. So also crazy is if you have been listening to the podcast for a while, you will hear some similar elements from other stories from around the world. To start with, Orihime is a princess. She does weave cloth. In the heavens. But Hikoboshi, I don't know if that's his name or not in this story, but I, I assume it is because that's kind of like their names. Yeah. Like in the, and all the stuff I've ever seen about like the legend, like in English since I've come back, that's what it is. Um, but he is a mortal. He lives on earth. He is still like a herdsman, I think. Uh, the big difference is he is a mortal. So I don't know why this happens, but one day he's out walking along. And he sees a beautiful woman bathing in a pond. And she is naked, as you are when you bathe. Yep. Unless you're a freak like me and you wear your bathing suit because you can't be naked, even in front of just yourself. He's a never nude. There are dozens of us. Literally dozens. (laughs) I don't wear jean shorts, though. But yeah, anyway. And so he sees hanging on this tree is this beautiful rainbow-like garment uh-huh. that he's like, oh, that's obviously her clothes. And he somehow knows like, oh, th- she is like a celestial being. Like she's not a mortal. She's not from this earth. I'm going to grab that and like hide it. So he grabs her like clothes and hides them. And she gets out and she's like, oh my gosh, where are my clothes? And without those clothes, she can't fly back up into 
the heavens. So he like helps her, gives her some clothes, takes her home. They kind of fall in love. They end up getting married. They have a kid together, I believe. And all this while, like he has hidden her garment, like in this chest in their house. And so one day while he's out of the house, something's happening. He's going and doing something. She's at home. She's cleaning, picking up, doing whatever around the house. And she sees this chest. And so she opens it and she grabs her robe and she doesn't even actually really know what it is. But as soon as she touches it, it's like she gets sucked back up into the heavens. So it's like, she didn't really even want to go. She didn't know what was happening, but she just touches the thing and it's like, whoop, back to where you belong. And so she goes up and he comes home and he's like freaking out. He's like, where'd she go? And he sees that her robe is gone. He's like, oh my gosh, I know what happened. You know, she, she's gone back up there. It's like, how am I going to get back up to her? And so he has a dog in the story too. Excellent. As his like sidekick, Excellent. which is kind of cool. But I don't know if this was just the, uh, the illustrators kind of like taking their artistic license. Cause I don't remember him like actually really doing anything in the story. He's just kind of like always there. So what happens is this guy starts gathering up. I don't remember what, I think it's like shoes, like children's shoes or something like that. And he buries them in a pile and, or maybe it's, I don't know. Like, again, this is the part where I'm like, I didn't understand what was happening. <laughs> someone explained it to me uh, that didn't speak English very well. Yeah, like he buried the shoes. Don't know why. <laughs> He buries these things. I think I thought they were shoes. And then out of that place, like a bamboo tree, like starts growing, like a baby bamboo oh. tree. And it starts like growing up. And so he then like hops up this like magical bamboo up into the heavens. And he gets up there. And when he gets there, he finds like her house. And he's like, she's got to come back with me. Like we have kids. We got to go. But her father, who's like kind of, I'm assuming kind of like the God of the heavens character is yeah. like, no. She belongs here. She has to stay here. And he's like, please, we have children. Think of the children <laughs> or whatever. He's pleading with him. And he's the God of the heavens guy, Orihime's father, says something along the lines of, okay, we're going to have dinner. But whatever I do during this dinner, you have to do the opposite. Basically not the opposite, but like you have to mirror me like throughout the whole dinner. Like if I take a bite, like mirror my actions. And so he's like, okay. And if you get through the whole dinner and everything's a success, then you can take my daughter back down to earth with you. And so they go through this dinner and Hikoboshi is following along, mirroring the exact thing, everything the guy lifts up his knife or whatever. And they finish the meal. Hikoboshi is like super stoked. He's like, I made it through the whole thing. Yes, let's do this. I can't remember what it was, if it was a melon or some other kind of like something. But the God of the heavens like, oh, very well done. You, you've done amazing. Let's have some dessert. And so he's like, here, cut into this food object that is worthy of dessert that I can't remember what it was in the depiction that I saw. I think it was a watermelon, which kind of makes sense with what happens next. So the God of the Heavens cuts into this food object that is worthy of dessert, some kind of fruit, I think. And he gets himself a piece and Hikoboshi's super excited, kind of celebrating his victory, doing what he was going to do, getting excited about seeing his wife again. He cuts into this food object himself, but uh, he did not mirror the God of the heavens when he did it. And so when he cuts into it, this thing splits open and pours out like this huge river and it washes him all the way to the other side of the sky. And this river that rushed out was the Milky Way and it pushed him to one side and Orihime was still on the other. And because he was not able to mirror the God of the heavens 
exactly throughout their whole meal because the dessert was part of the meal. Mm-hmm. They were forced to be banished apart. But the God of the heavens had pity on them and was like, okay, you know what? Fine, you can come together one day a year on the seventh day of the seventh month to be together and be in love. I don't know what happened to their children. I think they might've come up with her. There was other stuff. There was something like that, but that's kind of the story that I heard at the planetarium in Japan that I didn't understand and had to have explained to me afterwards by someone whose English was better than my Japanese by far, but also it was a struggle. Oh my gosh. Um, I love that. I mean, to piece that all together. And that sounds a lot more like, um, the story that I was able to find that's from China where it is this situation where, and this is an element that I thought was really, really interesting, that you had this mortal cow herdsman who finds these seven sisters, these mm. seven goddess sisters who are bathing nearby. And it's the story said that like the one of the goddesses was a skilled weaver and she wore colorful clouds from heaven. And so that reminds me of like, Hmm. you were talking about the, like the rainbow cloth or whatever that was like hanging there. Um, But in the story that I read, they basically like, they saw each other. They both saw each other and like instantly fell in love. There wasn't a, like Mm -hmm. a trapping situation, which actually like, yeah, which I like, a lot better oh, like, yeah, than yeah, the yeah, Stockholm yeah. syndrome like oh, version 100%. of that. <laughs> 100%. But as like you kind of noted like we have heard stories in the past. It this is kind of a common trope in a lot in like world yeah. stories of like a woman is found bathing and her clothing that is magical is off of her while she's like mm. bathing and then the person you know kind of steals it away. And so that element to me sounds like it's more correct. Because I've right. heard it so many times, but that doesn't. Yeah, yeah. But, but there's a problem with that too, of being like, oh, the thing that I've heard the most often is probably the right thing, and what I'm reading now is the wrong thing. <laughs> like, so I'm just right. telling you the Chinese version that I found. Yeah, where they fell in love, like right when they saw each other. But the problem was, and in that story, in the Chinese story too, they also like have two kids. But in this story, they're basically hiding from the goddess of heaven. Oh, and I will go back to those like seven goddesses in a second. But uh, the the big goddess of the heaven, the like Uh main goddess of the heaven, she discovers that, you know, this one goddess is this like weaving goddess has married a mortal man, which is like way not okay, huge blasphemy. And so she's enraged and she comes down and takes the girl, the like oh, weaver wow. girl back so that she can get back to her weaving duties. And of course, like the cow herdsman is like really upset. But in the Chinese story, he ends up killing one of his cows, one of his like his cows or his ox like talks to him. And which I, again, in other world stories, we've seen cows, cows who are like these like helpers who like speak to the person who's really upset. And so his cow was like, oh, if you kill me and you put on my hide, it will fly you up to heaven to like this weaver girl. And so because the ox was willing to sacrifice himself in that way, the two were reunited Mm -hmm. like in heaven. But again, the main goddess in heaven is very upset about this, that she's like, no, absolutely not. And so she creates a river of stars in the sky to separate the lovers. And that's 
the Milky Way in the story. And then this flock of magpies who see the two, you know, separated from each other. The Mm. flock of magpies comes to form a bridge for the two to walk across. And it's at that point when the goddess of heaven is seeing the magpies that are willing to help these two, the ox that was willing to help these two, and just like the the love that they have for each other and the commitment that they keep going for each other, finally relents and is like, okay, on the seventh day of the seventh lunar month, I will let you two like come together. And so, yeah, it's interesting, the different elements of stories that basically it's like, it all amounts to almost like the same thing. It's just all these like different like versions and pieces that are like different. Yeah. Yeah, it's really interesting. And it's like, yeah, just like the differences and how there are different versions. Like even like there's this one that is a Japanese version that's different from the Japanese version that I had heard. And again, I don't know how much of it was like artistic license from the illustrator where this story came from. I just showed up at a planetary, but it was like showing, you know, but it's like, again, like it's not, I know like my culture or whatever, but it's like kind of part of my story of like my life now. Like this is the version that I like, even, even with all of its flaws and like mistranslations, misunderstandings, like that's part of it. And that is why it's like perfect for me as a person. And so when I tell the story, that's the version that I tell because it's, it's the one that like, I don't know, means the most to me. Because of all the yeah. history with it, with for myself personally. And I mean, I think it, it does help that it was like a story that you heard when you were like in Japan. Yeah. Whether, whether, but what you're pointing at too is really interesting of the, uh, the, what goes on between like a person, a, the storyteller and the person mm-hmm. who's like hearing the story because like, yeah. 20 people can all hear the same story from the storyteller telling it at exactly the same time, but they have 20 different experiences and understandings of the story. And so they walk away having heard 20 different things. Yeah. And, and you're, because they bring themselves to it. Exactly. Like views and their own like world. And what's interesting is you went to the planetarium with probably a very different worldview than a lot of the other people who go to that Japanese planetarium. And it's like, it made sense why they were showing this at a planetarium. Like that location was also chosen for a reason because it's a star, it's the star festival. It's about, you know, the same types of stuff that we talk about in a planetarium. So it's like, Oh yeah. That means I remember being like really confused when I came in. I was like, wait, why are we watching this like story? (laughs) And then, you know, we saw where it ended and we're like, Oh, I get it. It's like a, Milky Way origin story. Yeah. Oh, and not and not only that, but the so the two the two stars that it's about yeah. are Altair and Vega. Mm-hmm. And so Vega is Orihime. Yeah. And Altair is Hikoboshi, right? Yes. I think that's what you said when I was starting the story. Oh yeah, when I was like, oh Vega. Hopefully I said it about the right ones. But these two stars, they are in the galaxy 16 light years apart from each other, opposite ends of the Milky Way. But as 
the earth turns, like our perspective down on earth changes Mm -hmm. of how the stars are situated in the sky. And so this time of year is when those two stars get closer to each other from our, from our perspective. Right. Like they're not actually getting closer, but like our perspective, we are moving around in such a way as to make them look. Yeah. To look like they get closer to each other. And so, like, I mean, that's that's the thing that I find so fascinating about, like, the celestial yeah. star stories is the the people who are looking up at these stars all over the planet, obviously, and they're mm-hmm. either just finding creative ways to to talk about and describe what they're seeing. They're helping them to remember where certain stars are in in relation to each other, or even to tell different times of year. And Mm -hmm. you can do that by staring up at the night sky so that you can um, kind of deduce that throughout the year. And so I just like, I just find it fascinating, like how many stories are to pinpoint these different stories that are used to just describe what's up in the sky. And so earlier I said that like, Oh, we'll get back to those like seven goddesses. Mm -hmm. So what was really interesting to me when I read that, that little tidbit about all these seven goddesses like coming down. So seven is a number that shows up a lot when talking about star stories, especially oddly like females. Um, mm-hmm. Not all stories of the seven are about sisters or goddesses. But when we talk about the Pleiades, it's interesting how often these seven stars end up in stories that are about uh, sisters or like women, female. Not not all of them by far, not all of them. But it happens enough that it's like, that's really interesting. Right. So you're saying that the seven goddesses in this story were the seven... Like they were the they were the Pleiades, so they could have been, is what I'm okay. saying. Uh, I I would have to look because that was the the Chinese myth, and I'll have to look closer. But it's interesting when it was like, oh, uh-huh. seven goddesses went together as a group somewhere, and yeah. I'm like, mm, that's suspicious because cultures all over the world do have stories about the Pleiades. So if people don't know what the Pleiades are, that name itself is from Greek mythology. Mm-hmm. They're the daughters of Atlas. And I want to say her name was Pleiones, who was, I want to say, I want to say she was like a water nymph. Mm-hmm. But either way, Atlas ends up getting punished fra- by Zeus as happens in Greek mythology and he's doomed. He is punished to hold the heavens up on his shoulders and his daughters were very sad. They were really upset about their dad. And so Zeus placed them in the night sky so that they would always be close to their father. And those are the Pleiades and the Pleiades are a group of stars there. It's actually a lot of stars. <laughs> There's about 400 uh, stars that are in a cluster right there. Oh, wow. But the amount that we can see with our naked eye has varied throughout the years. So um, some cultures would use how many stars you could count in that constellation, like in that one space, mm-hmm. um, as kind of an eye test. If you could see seven, your eyes were doing great. If you could see six, 
that's about standard. If they were all blurring together, then that's not, <laughs> that's not good. Um, but also like, you know, different things affect how many you can see such as like, not just the light pollution that we have today, but also like what phase the moon is in, where it is in the sky, the moon mm. itself can cause, um, some light pollution that makes it hard to, um, see the seven sisters, but there are stories all around the world of these seven sisters. And one story that I thought was really interesting comes from the, was, uh, actually from the Ainu, which are the mm. considered to be the native peoples or the first peoples of Japan. Mm -hmm. And they have a story about the seven sisters. And I thought it'd be nice to include another little story from the stars from Japan. So this story I found in the seven sisters of the Pleiades stories from around the world by Munya Andrews, Munya by Munya Andrews. Um, she is a Western Australian woman who grew up. Um, her Aboriginal family members would tell stories about the stars a lot. Mm -hmm. And it was later in her life that she was hearing other star stories from around the world that she became really interested in learning more about star stories from other cultures because she thought that like her people were like some of the only people who, and again, we've talked in past episodes about how Australian Aboriginals are sometimes called the world's first astronomers because they have some of like the oldest mm -hmm. stories about the stars. And it mm -hmm. just, it fascinates me because she's trained as a lawyer. Like, she she didn't go, you know, out into the right. world to like learn folklore mythology or anything. Um, but the story that she has included in this book was translated into English probably for like the first time inside of this book by a man in Australia who spoke Japanese who was able to translate the story because there's mm -hmm. a collection of stories so this story comes from Hokkaido. It was recorded in the historical document known as the Sosi Kaiso. And she notes in here that as the book is not available in English, Georgie Stevens, a young Australian lawyer living in Japan who works with the Ainu and Japanese people, made the following translation. So I thought that was mm. fascinating because it's like, oh, yeah, that's like cool. awesome. Really hard. So if you guys again, I'm going to say the title of the book because I I'm like, if you're interested in stories about stars, the seven sisters of the Pleiades stories from around the world, Munya Andrews, M-U-N-Y-A. Nice. So definitely check it out. So in Japanese, just so that people know, the Pleiades are not called the Pleiades. They... <laughs> Usually, in most translations, they are called Subaru. <laughs> Subaru. <laughs> uh -huh. Which, if people know the, the like, car, Subaru, it has the symbol of uh, stars. And that's why. Um, which is also really funny because... Subaru! Like, because Subaru as a company, they like Subaru Outback, like they also kind of have this, it's a Japanese company, but they have this kind of like Australian like 
theme like oh, about them which is just interesting yeah, because yeah. of like the fact that, that, that like this australian <laughs> lawyer is the one that like collected this story it's like there's a strange australian connection in a car company and in these yeah. stories and i just absolutely no love that's it. hilarious i thought you were gonna say it's interesting because these uh because the history of the company is like it started off as like different separate companies that then all like were brought together in like the unity oh. also is that true yeah that is what happened Oh, or are you just oh, making no, no, that? Oh no, no, no! That like that. That's that what, happened? what happened. That's really cool yeah. too. Um, because they it was like a bunch of it was that. a bunch of different companies like came together. Um, and I think it was like 1953 or whatever, and mm-hmm. they picked Subaru because they wanted to be this like yeah we were distinctly different from like each other but like we all came together what's interesting about the Pleiades is that like unlike some stars that are far distance from each other so as our planet moves they appear to be moving in relation to each other the Pleiades don't do that because they're from the same exploded group of matter Uh, and and so they are in a tight formation to each other they're a hot fast burning group they aren't gonna last as long as like our sun will which will last like billions like hundreds of billions of years those ones are only gonna last for like hundreds of millions of years oh wow! and so like so they're these intense they are a close group together of like intensely burning um stars yeah that's awesome yeah so yeah they never they never appear to be separating from each other than the sky so this story from the I Knew People, it's really, really quick, and it's just supposed to be funny, but also it goes along with the season. So long time ago, there were seven lazy sisters. <laughs> and what's interesting, too, to note, side note, is that sometimes this story uh, is the six lazy sisters, and mm-hmm. the switch happened as... So there's like there's like a little bit of an explanation that's possible at the end of the story that's sometimes included if it's the seven sisters. But then sometimes mm-hmm. the story just starts off as the six sisters. That way they don't have to explain why there seems to be like a missing <laughs> sister. Because, again, like we, we don't want to talk <laughs> like, oh, she went missing. <laughs> it's interesting because there are other stories uh, that we probably will eventually be telling about the Pleiades mm-hmm. because, yeah. Uh, because we love celestial star stories Heck yeah. that do explain where the seventh sister went, which is really fascinating because it shows that like they noticed both that like that there were seven and sometimes the seventh one is really hard to see. So obviously uh-huh. because there is this debate of did people a long time ago, were they actually able to see the seventh one or not? Which it's like, right. it seems in the stories that, no, we used to be capable. Astronomers want to know because they want to know if if the seventh one has like noticeably dimmed within our human existence yeah. is why, the, why, why Which, that's important. Yeah, that would be really interesting because that's not a long time in the life of a yeah, star. Yeah, in the life of a star, a recorded human history. Yeah, no, that's not. It was like a blink of yeah. an eye. So anyway, long ago, there were these seven lazy sisters and there was a hardworking man who lived nearby and every summer he would get frustrated because he would see them just sitting around hanging out when all of the work was supposed to be getting done. Uh, it was harvest season. And so, you know, he would kind of scold them 
and say, oh, I see you guys. You'd rather be just sitting around doing nothing all day, just taking care of your your faces, your pretty faces and your makeup. That's all you care about. You're so like vain and lazy while everybody else is working. <laughs> just like going at them. And all of the sisters at the same time would say, if we were to go and till the fields, we'd be hot and sweaty and our hands would get dirty. <laughs> and this guy who was like scolding them would just say, well, if you get dirty, you can wash in the river. And the girls would reply back, uh, no, if we wash in the river, we might be swept away and meet a terrible fate. So we don't want to do that. <laughs> And obviously the guy would reply, if you were about to be swept away, just grab hold of some of the bases of the plants along the riverbank. And they would reply, but then we would cut our hands and they would be hurt. You should not be swept down river. <laughs> yeah. And then he would reply, well, if your hands get cut, you can just treat it by binding it with like a cloth. And then the girls would, of course, reply with another excuse. Well, even if we were to bind up our hands with a cloth, our hearts would be pounding so fast because we would be so upset. Oh, we do wish that we could become stars because if we were stars, we wouldn't have to do anything. And that would be so nice. <laughs> so well, they are. Lazy. They are they're always an excuse. Um, so with that back and forth banter with the young man, he was getting just really, really frustrated. And so he decided he would start to chase them. So he started chasing the girls and they jumped into a boat to run away from him. And so he got into a boat and he was chasing after them and he didn't seem to be able to catch them. And the God of the heavens who was watching over these girls, he saw them being chased and he was like, well, maybe I'll help him out. And so he turned those seven lazy sisters into mm. seven stars and place them in the sky just like they wanted. just like they wanted but he also turned the man who chased them into a star who's constantly still chasing them interesting so what's interesting about this story from like an astronomy uh perspective is that in this area of the world and japan in the late autumn, when the work fields have been pretty much like finished up, all the work's been done, everything's been put away, mm -hmm. these stars are really, really clearly seen up in the night sky. But also there is another star that appears to start like catching up with them. So some people think that this star that they're referring to is a star that's inside of Ursa Major that appears to be getting closer to uh, the Pleiades at that time of year. But as like winter comes on, he kind of looks like he like bypasses them and gets farther away because he's mm. part of a group of stars that is circumpolar which means that they are like always in the night sky and it kind of through th oh, through right. the year it looks like they go around like in a circle right. as opposed to um and I thought this was really interesting cuz I read that cuz I had not realized this that the closer you are to the equator the the less you see circumpolar stars, all of them, right? All of them go up and set. That's just yeah. like how they do. Because when you're at the equator, you're the farthest from the poles that you can be. Yeah. So, so you 
And if they're like circling the poles, there's going to be a time where it's on like the opposite side yeah. of the earth. And also the circumpolar star, it seems like if you're on the, you know, northern hemisphere or southern hemisphere, it's harder. Like to there might be some stars that you just don't see ever. Yeah. And so, and the Ple- Pleiades are some of the stars that basically you can see from, uh, on all angles because that you can see them in Australia. You can see them like, you can mm-hmm. see them everywhere. Yeah. And so it would make sense that stars that are not from our perspective but anyway, I just thought that was like such an interesting story that was like looking at like talking about the Pleiades, which are, you know, the this group of stars that is just so noticeable in the night sky because it is this like closely grouped set of stars. Yeah. And so it's interesting that you know you have that story but combined with this like other stars that appear to be moving while that one is like not as much. Yeah. And yeah, I think it's just fascinating. Sorry. Are you no, no, no. Like anything? it was just, I'm just amazed. Like I love stories like this where people are looking up and describing what they're seeing in the stars and they like stick a cool narrative to it. Yeah. That's exactly what I was going to say too. It's like, it's so funny as human beings that we see things happening and we want to describe them as if they were, humans you know what i mean like so we see oh these stars get closer together sometimes and they get further apart sometimes oh these stars are always close together oh and there's this one that gets close to it and then it like goes away and it's like it can't just be objects in space moving because that's how their orbits work or whatever we're just like we see something happening we're like we want to make a story out of it we're like oh wow like these two stars like they come together but they only come together this one time of year it's like but they they want to be together because when they're together they're it's like the brightest or I don't know what it is, but it's like, we want to add like human emotions and motivations and all of that into it when it's really just like, you know, celestial bodies in motion, which is super cool. But like, we have to make it cooler, you know, to our human sensibilities by making them into humans. Yeah. Whether, whether it was to like help discuss the changing of the seasons or to help tell the change of the seasons or to help navigate or just, to enjoy while you're like sitting outside talking with your friends by like a fire, like whatever reasons that people had all over the world for like telling these stories. I'm just so glad that they did. Cause like they're so gorgeous. Yeah, absolutely. Thinking about that, like throughout history, people looking up at the stars and seeing these things happen. Like it makes me kind of sad for our modern life because you would not be able like, to make up this story about these stars getting closer, unless you were like often looking up at the stars and paying attention to where they were and watching what was happening. It's like just in our lives or my life specifically, like I so rarely see the stars. And when I do, I don't see very many because I live in a place that's popular yeah. and the light pollution makes us you only see the brightest ones. And it's just so sad to think about like that we've kind of lost that as like a collective group you know like uh, you know with uh, specifically in america a lot of us have lost it Uh, but like even throughout the world is just we've gotten electricity you know and lights everywhere but it does remind me of like the times when we do get to experience it in some ways i think becomes all the more magical like you i'm sure when you go out into the desert like camping or whatever at night like is amazing i was up in the mountains like out kind of in the middle of nowhere not too long ago like sometime towards the end of last year and like we were with some friends and we like just laid down on the deck of this 
cabin that we were at and like looked up at the stars for hours because we could just see so many of them because we're so far away from everything. It was just like such a magical and awesome experience. And it just makes me sad that like as a group, we don't have that anymore. And me personally, that we don't do that anymore. So it's like without going out of my way to make that kind of happen. Yeah. So while you're looking up at the stars, whether you can see them or not this July on the 7th, think about these two star-crossed lovers and how they're getting to reunite and hope that it doesn't rain. Or that it does, so you can see a cool magpie bridge form in the sky. <laughs> but I think, you know, like, we, I talked about at the beginning of the episode, some of the, like, themes of our podcast that, like, get us really excited. And hopefully you listeners excited. Like, holidays being one of them. Because I think there's something fun about just, like, having that, you know, like, bit of knowledge. Even if you're not sharing it with other people, just to think about on that specific day to remember, like, you know, this cool story and all of this fun stuff about like how that story came to be because there were people who were observing the stars and then they made that into a story about people. And so we hope that we got this episode out in enough time that you can listen to it and have that in your memory banks for this July 7th. Also, something to store away in your memory banks is another awesome thing happening in July. We are doing a fifth Friday Fable Fest on Instagram Live. We did one in April. April. April, the very first one ever. April. Yeah, that's true. And it was so much fun. Like, it was so much fun. Again, I like sometimes just feel like nobody listens to this podcast. Like, we just sit here and record it. And if that was all it was, like Katrina and I getting together and having a good time, like, that is worth it because it's that fun for me. But we had people showing up in our live, interacting with us, and it was just so fun. It made the experience different i like it was the same feel like us talking to each other but then someone would say something that neither one of us would have thought of if they weren't jumping in the chat and putting it out out there that then we could discuss and have our own thoughts on it was like super interactive so on july 29th which is the fifth friday in the seventh month (laughs) of the lunar solar calendar of the lunar solar calendar july 29th come uh follow the fairy tellers on Instagram, come jump on that Instagram live and interact with us. We'd love to see you there and have an absolute blast. And until then, look up to the stars and wonder. <laughs> Perfect. Thank you for listening to The Fairy Tellers. If you enjoy what we're doing, please leave us a review or share us with your friends. Also consider supporting us on Patreon for access to exclusive bonus content, including outtakes and monthly bonus episodes at patreon.com slash thefairytellers. Special thanks to Andrew Foray for our music and to Clarice Inch for our artwork. And of course, a big thank you to all our patrons. Without all of you, this show wouldn't be possible. Fairy tales are always more interesting when something is added to them. Each new telling recharges the narrative, making it crackle and hiss with cultural energy. Maria Tatar That was lovely. It's not done. <laughs> to this day... I can't wait to hear that in the outtake. <laughs>